from the streets of Manhattan. I don't understand what we did wrong. I think it would be a good idea to change routine if they boo. To the sands of the Sahara. You understand English? Yes. From the darkest corners of the Kasbah. Ah! These men may control the fate of the Middle East. It's amazing, huh? To the cabarets of Casablanca. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman, Warren Beatty, Ishtar. This is some of our best work. Rated PG-13. Advanced preview Saturday night in select cities. to so What's the Problem, in which we watch movies from our youth to determine if they're problematic by today's standards. I'm Jimmy. I'm Jen. Today we'll be discussing Ishtar, which was released in the US on May 15th, 1987, and in the UK and Ireland on November 27th, 1987. It was written and directed by Elaine May. It stars Dustin Hoffman, Warren Beatty, Isabella Ajani, and Charles Grodin. What's going to happen is this. We have both four or three problems this movie has, and one positive, and we'll have a discussion about it. And the synopsis is, in their attempt to become famous, two singers, Chuck and Lyle, who have arrived in Morocco for a gig, unknowingly end up being caught in a boisterous plot to overthrow a powerful leader in Ishtar. It sounded like you said unknowingly. <laughs> I said the unknowingly, and I was thinking, did he add that? Was that? Because, I mean, it's true. <laughs> I have bad allergies right now, so I think, I think it's um, that. Right, so this was The Fault of the Wheel. The wheel gave us this movie to watch, and we can both now say, Jen, that we have watched one of the worst movies ever made. I, I don't know if I would say that. Which, it isn't at all. It's not. It is not. Because um, it's not great, but it's not awful. It's just a movie. I've seen so many worse movies. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I'd never seen this movie before, but <coughs> growing up, I knew of its reputation. Mm-hmm. I'd always heard that it was like in the worst off lists and stuff like that. And I think that's what put me off, really. Um, but no. no. There are worse movies like The Room and Birdemic and Troll 2. I actually once did a double feature of The Room and Troll 2. Why on earth would you do that? Because we would have bad movie nights. So hmm. why not watch The Room and Troll 2? You see, the thing about The Room is uh, I don't think it's so bad it's good. I just think it's bad. I don't get any enjoyment from The Room whatsoever. I mean, I, I don't know that anyone thinks it's so bad it's good. I think everybody thinks it's so bad, but they enjoy the badness. They're not yeah, I don't, I don't think it's good. But, yeah. it's, but the thing is, is, that's not a movie you could watch. Like, okay, so I read The Disaster Artist by Greg Sestero, um, who was in the movie and was friends with Tommy Wiseau. And I actually read it and later listened to the audiobook. And both times I wanted to rewatch the movie. Like, the book made me want to rewatch it, as well as the Disaster Artist movie. But I never did, because it's really only fun if there's someone there who hasn't seen it before. Like, there was no way I was going to sit down and just watch The Room for, like, the 12th time or whatever by myself. Every time I've watched it, there's been someone new there. And that's part of what makes it fun, is, like, watching someone react to the movie. Fair enough. I just, I just think it's garbage. But like things like Birdemic. I don't know what that is. Um, or 
Birdemic. It's oh, you need you need to just watch a clip of Birdemic. It's really bad. It's like killer birds. Okay. And the special effects are terrible. The thing about things like Birdemic is, it's someone. I mean, Tommy Wiseau was trying, mm-hmm. right? He he thought he had something with the room. That's what makes it extra bad. I know, I know, but that's what also makes it like sort of sad and pathetic. Mm-hmm. To watch for me, and I don't really like that. Okay, yeah, I get that. Where I mean, Troll Two. Don't know what the fuck was goes on with that movie. But you see, I had some fun with Troll Two. The room, the room does try. Yeah, that's the thing. People try to tell him. People try to tell him. You know the mistakes he was making, and the things that you know with the movie that didn't make sense, and he didn't listen to anybody. So I feel sorry for him up to a point, and then it's like the man has such an ego. That, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he could have made something, although if he'd made something a little better, it wouldn't be bad enough to be as beloved as it is, and it would just be something that a few people saw once 20 years ago. Fair enough. Um, so, that has been our podcast on The Room. <laughs> um, <laughs> bad movies. Uh, yeah, bad movies, yeah. Uh, but... Like, say something like um, Birdemic, which you haven't seen and hadn't even heard of until now. Um, the problem with stuff like Birdemic is the creators, because the movie gets the status of it being so bad it's good or even just, you know, bad and funny to watch, the creators think that that's what they do now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the director seems to think that that's their niche and uh, they, they make two sequels to Birdemic uh, that are basically exactly the same. And um, they're just not, you know, just worthless. And he's he's trying too hard to be bad now. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tommy Wiseau is just Tommy Wiseau. He made like a sitcom or something um, with just a yeah. bunch of people in a room. Uh, that was that was weird. I saw about five or ten minutes of it, and then turned it off. It was terrible. Ishtar. Mm-hmm. Is not as bad as any of those movies, uh, so I don't understand where it got its reputation. Yeah. So what what did you think of it? I I mean I enjoyed. I we'll, we'll get into my problems, but right, cool. For the most part, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I was just I was just bored, but um, yeah, it could just have been me. It could just have been a me thing. But I just didn't think much was happening in it, and it was just kind of, I didn't find much of it funny. I enjoyed a lot, like, I definitely really enjoyed the beginning, and I'm like, maybe I would have just liked a movie about these two guys in New York trying to make it. Maybe that yeah. would have been better for me. No, that, I mean, there is some, there was a couple of bits that made me sort of smile that I, I found amusing, uh, and it's mostly like Dustin Hoffman's Lane Delivery or some things. Like when she flashes her breast to him mm-hmm. and he says, Look what you've got. I just like the way he's delivered that line. <laughs> um, but yeah, who wants to go first with the problems? You want to go first or? I might as well, since you just brought up one of my problems. Go for it. Is the only way, and this goes back to just one of the guys as well, is the only way to tell a woman is a woman by actually seeing her breasts or feeling her breasts? Is there nothing else? Because I'll tell you what, when she and um, Warren Beatty are struggling in the hotel room, she sure sounds like a woman. Mm-hmm. There's no mistaking to me, no mistaking that as a, even a boy. Mm-hmm. She sounds like a friggin' woman, 
But like he has, and then, oh God. And then when he grabs her breasts, like he doesn't stop touching them. It's so gross. She could have just tried saying to Dustin Hoffman, dude, I'm a woman. Like she's obviously <clears throat> a woman. I, I hate that. I hate that it's just like, the only way to prove that you're a woman is to show or let someone feel your breasts. Ron Beatty and Isabel Ajani were actually dating at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just put that scene down to him just being Warren Beatty and just like <laughs> grabbing his girlfriend's breasts. Yeah, I agree with you. And this movie and just one of the guys was were directed by women. Mm-hmm. So, and this one was written by a woman. So, you know, the 1980s. I think we could just chalk it down to the 1980s, Jen. Yeah. Movie-wise, I get that there's not really any other way that she could have done it. It's it's funnier that way for us to do that. If it's supposed to be a comedy, you would th- you know, I, I imagine that they think, oh, this is funnier that she just flashes, rather than go through, I am a woman, I am a woman, I am a woman, even though she's clearly a woman. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you're not exactly working with two geniuses here with Chuck and Lyle. Yeah, but she doesn't try even once saying, I'm a woman. Not true. I do like the fact, though, that Chuck is just like, um, I'm not gay, but, you know, it's cool if you are. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And and he says, I'm straight. I'm not proud of it. No. I'm proud of it. I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not proud of it. That was delightful. That was one of my favorite moments in the whole movie. Yeah. No, that was good. I, I hate it in movies where, and indeed real life, when... Someone, for example, in this movie, uh, they say, we have an act together. And the barman says, would I have seen it? It's like, how the fuck would I know if you've seen it or not? <laughs> I don't I don't know where you hang out. I'm, I'm, I'm not your mother. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen it. I just don't like that, that question in movies. It seems a bit... Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, I've, 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 I did a play or I've, I've written some plays. Or would I have seen any? I don't know. How could I possibly know that? You tell me. That's the extent of the problems in this movie. <laughs> What's your second problem, Jen? Uh, my second problem is that accent that Dustin Hoffman uses <laughs> when he's dealing with the arms dealers and stuff. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I expected him to do there, but I didn't like the accent. Yeah. And the gibberish he was speaking. It was... Why would you lie to people with guns in the middle of the desert? I don't know. Again, no. Chuck and Lyle aren't the smartest people. No. But, yeah, it is, it is a bit stupid. And, you know, racist. Just admit that you were stranded. You're stranded. And you need help. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I just noticed you've got a Pop Funko up there on the top shelf. What's that? Um, there's several. They've all fallen over. What, what are we looking at? Uh, right at the very end, next to an orange thing. Up the top here. Oh, you can't see what I'm Wait, right there? No, right at the very, very end, right at the very top. Well, I have a strawberry shortcake, and I have an Anna from uh, Frozen. Alright, so what's that that one up? What's that box up there, then, if it's not a box one? What's that up the top? The box pop pop vinyl? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. J.J. Abrams. Alright, cool. (laughs) I couldn't, I couldn't see what it was. It's the only one I still have in a box. Um, right. It's the most recent one I bought, and we haven't really bought any since we moved into this house because we don't have as much space for them, but it was $3 <clears throat> at Barnes & Noble, 
And I also figured if anybody looked at it, they wouldn't know what it was. So might as well keep it in the box where it says J.J. Abrams. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Some of them people wouldn't know what they are, the pop funkos. Yeah, I've got John Oliver somewhere on my desk, and I don't think people would necessarily know that was John Oliver. No, it's just a man with glasses. I would say that's J.J. Abrams. <laughs> right, so yeah, uh, there had to be so, some sort of casual racism in this movie, didn't yeah. it? It was 80s, I was waiting and they were in a foreign country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not as much as I thought it would be. Yeah. So all those all those Moroccans, like a lot of them, they're portrayed as like actually smart people, <laughs> even if they're they're being smart for bad reasons, like the uh, the main the bad guy did the that we don't really see get mm-hmm. his comeuppance, but the one that they're trying to overthrow. My second problem is that this movie would have been shorter because this movie is almost one hour and fifty minutes long, Jim. Mm-hmm. But this movie would have been shorter. If they took out the 15-minute flashback sequence of how the guys met. But I like that. Why? I like to give a little backstory on them. We don't need it, though. We'd, I, I don't think we actually need that backstory because we know from what we see at them at the beginning of the movie, we know all we need to know. You know? It's like their songwriters are very bad at it and they get a new agent. He sends them to Ishtar. I liked knowing their background. I liked knowing that they haven't really even known each other that long. That, like, they they gave up, like, their jobs and, and their girlfriends for this. And I don't know. I, I liked it. But my point still remains that the movie would have been shorter if you cut that out. I mean, that's true. <laughs> that is a fact. Yes. Because I think it takes about half an hour to actually get to the title of the movie which is Ishtar. Mm-hmm. They don't go to Ishtar for a while. I just think that they should have just had it in the bar where they've had a little falling out and then, well, not really, but uh, Dustin Hoffman's been a twat and they make up and then he decides they're going to go to Ishtar. Or it didn't need to be a flashback and they could have just put it at the beginning of the movie chronologically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They could have, um, he could have just admitted that he was a fraud or whatever in the bar to Lyle. That could have been when Lyle found that out, that he, that he isn't who he, you know, says he is, that he's mm-hmm. actually a bit of a loser, even though we already knew that. But Lyle seems to think he was cool. Have that happen there, and then that is why Lyle, that's how Lyle talks him into going to Ishtar. You know, do that. That's easier than having 15 minutes of nothing. Even though we had Carol Kane, mm-hmm. your, um, your third problem. Um, I'll just say the third act. Like, I was, you know, I was watching the movie and I was enjoying it. I was kind of into it. And then by the time we got to the third act, I was just kind of, like, over it. You say it could have been shorter if they'd taken out that sequence, but I think it could have been shorter if they'd actually cut, like, a lot of the stuff in his chart down. Um, because at a certain point I was starting to get confused about what was even going on. Yeah. It, I didn't... It's not entirely clear. Yeah, I... I, it, It was unclear... And part of that was the writing, but part of that was that it wasn't holding my interest enough for me to be paying attention at a certain point to what was going on. Right. You see, I think you and I want completely different versions of this movie (laughs) because I like the third act. Well, I don't like the third act, but I don't know. I just... There was was two helicopters flying and there was explosions 
in between them and that actually happened that was a real thing that happened mm. and I appreciate that sort of practical stuff in movies so maybe I'm just like yeah also the camel was there that was fun but um but yeah it's I don't know. I don't even like this movie much, so I don't even know why. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to watch it again. I mean, I probably won't watch it again either, but I, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than you did. Sorry, Edgar Wright. I was bored. I was bored up until the the explosions. Maybe that, that says more about me <sighs> than anything else, but yeah, I was just getting bored. So... My third problem is, did we really have to see practically the entire concert at the end? Because <laughs> they not ended that movie a little bit quicker than that. Mm-hmm. We didn't need to hear all those songs. So you wouldn't buy their live album? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, uh, no. I would rather. I would rather deafen myself with a spoon. Okay, that's a little dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, I wouldn't spin. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's what would happen. But I just, I just wouldn't listen to that album. <laughs> but yeah, the ending's quite weird because it just kind of ends. Yeah, it's just like uh, we have this map, and we are going to blackmail the CIA, uh, Charles Gordon's character in particular, um, and uh, we want to be famous, uh, make us famous, buy, you know, sell albums of ours, make sure we have an album and stuff like that, and then you might see the map, <laughs> you might get the map. Um, a bit weird. So they, they become, f- well, we don't even know if they become famous, but probably they not. attempt to become, yeah, probably not, because they're crap. They attempt to become famous by blackmailing the CIA. <laughs> That's what our heroes of the movie do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a, a homage to all those like Road Two movies with uh, Bing Crosby and the other fella. I can't remember his name. Bob, Bob Hope. Hope. But I've never seen any of those movies. I just know they go to different places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, every movie and every title is different. But I've um, never actually seen any of them. They do that. Um, I'm going to guess it's an homage to that when they do it on. Um... Family Guy, Stewie and Brian go on the little adventures together. Yeah. And I didn't know until today that's what the reference is. Right. Because that's what they moved. Uh, the Road 2 movies are musicals. So that's what the Family Guy ones are homaging because they always mm-hmm. have a musical number in those. Do you have a positive? Yes, I do. Um, my positive is um, I really like Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty together. Um, it was interesting because when I was doing research and stuff, I was seeing that like there were some reviewers that were like, they're awful together. They have no chemistry. And then others that thought they were great. And that was interesting to me that it's so split. But um, I like the two of them together. Um, I enjoyed watching them as a duo. I enjoyed that they were each going against type. Mm-hmm. Like, I did enjoy Warren Beatty as the, like, just, like, big awkward guy. <laughs> and I enjoyed watching Dustin Hoffman be cocky and, I don't know. Yeah. I, I really liked the two of them together and I liked their, the characters they were playing. I liked, I liked seeing something a little different from them. Yeah. I like them together and I like, I like Lyle. But Lyle kind of wavers between creepy and kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. I mean, the aforementioned breasts yeah. grabbing scene. But then also, uh, towards the beginning, well, in the, during the flashback, there's like, he's he's just standing there while 
Chuck is talking to this woman and he's not talking to the other woman, the fr- her friend. Mm-hmm. And he's just standing, he's just looking quite creepy. Mm-hmm. He's just looking kind of weird and it's like, I think Warren Beatty's probably thinking, I would have banged both these women by now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I think it was like a super awkward guy who like yeah. just doesn't know how yeah. to talk to women at all. And um, like, yeah, yeah. He, he comes off as creepy to her, but as far as like me, the audience member, I'm just thinking, oh, this is someone who, I mean, he hasn't dated since he was 17. Like, he just doesn't know what he's doing. He, I mean, I do like Lyle. I like Lyle as a character, and I think Lyle's really sweet at times. And like the scene where uh, Chuck is gonna chuck himself off the ledge, mm-hmm. uh, Lyle was like genuinely scared for his friend. Mm-hmm. Um, that he's just met recently, but you know they've they've had a they're close already, and um, because he even he even says to uh, to Chuck, please don't be mad at me because he called the police, mm-hmm. and that's really sweet. It's like he he doesn't want his friend to be mad at him because he was saving his friend. Yeah. No, I'd I'd hang out with Lyle. <laughs> I'd hang out with Lyle. I wouldn't hang out with Chuck though. He'd annoy me. Yeah. No, he seems like a dick. Yeah. <laughs> What's your positive? The camel. No, um, <laughs> I was going to say the camel, but then I decided I'm going to have to say Charles Grodin. Okay. Because we lost him recently. Um, he passed away, what, last year or something? Mm-hmm. And I just think that just watching this, I just fucking love that man's delivery. I just, I just feel as though that he does the whole, I, I don't care sort of thing, right, mm-hmm. in his parts. It's like, it just seems as though that the actor himself, Charles Grodin, doesn't give a shit. <laughs> he's just reading lines. But he's just got this sort of attitude where it just seems like, I don't care. I really don't give a shit. Yeah. And I just love his line delivery. So I think, so my positive is Charles Grodin. Okay. It would have been the camel if it wasn't for Charles Grodin, and it would have been Lyle if it wasn't for the two creepy moments. I read a story about how, like, the animal trainer was looking for a camel, and he found a camel with blue eyes that he really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but he thought he could get something cheaper, so he went looking around. Couldn't find anything as good as that first camel. He didn't realize camels with blue eyes were so rare. And so he went back to buy the first camel. He went back to the dealer, and the dealer had eaten it. Yeah. That was upsetting. I didn't like it. I don't... I didn't know that the it camels. I didn't either. I guess every animal gets eaten at some point. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Yeah. I had some. I had some lovely dog earlier. Did I? Ew. Uh, but anyway, this this movie had a very troubled production. Yes. It started off with Warren Beatty wanting to do Elaine May a favor mm-hmm. because she had written, helped write scripts for him. That he won awards for, mm-hmm. <laughs> his movies won awards for, uh, Reds, whatever, and uh, so he said, "Right, I'll throw her a bone." But then apparently those two really didn't get on when they were <laughs> they were making the movie. Yeah, but I think <laughs> the fact that when it they were uh, the studio offered to fire her and let him direct, he was like, "No, if she gets fired, Dustin Hoffman and I walk." Like, that he Mm. didn't necessarily get along with her, they had some clashes, but that Mm -hmm. he wasn't going to get rid of her. He was going to let her finish finish the work, and a lot of people, um, especially people with, like, egos, 
which supposedly most actors have, they yeah. would have they would have gotten rid of this person they weren't getting along with. But I like the fact that he really championed her. Um, you know, we were talking before we recorded, or you mentioned that um, Edgar Wright and Quentin Tarantino and Martin Scorsese uh, love this movie. <laughs> Lena Dunham. Well, well, we don't care about Lena Dunham. Nah. And this movie, I didn't know until today, this is where the term movie jail comes from. Because Elaine May never made another movie after this because it was such a flop, which is such bullshit because men get to have flops all the time. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm actually concerned. I forget her name, but the woman who directed Marvel's, um, <laughs> Marvel's was the lowest grossing MCU movie. Um, this, this weekend, and I hope it doesn't affect, I mean, I, first of all, I hope it doesn't affect whatever plans they have going forward with these characters, because I really loved the movie. I was charmed by it, and I like where they implied it was going, but that director, I'm like, is this going to affect her career in a really bad way? Because that's not fair. No. If it does, because, like, every, you know, men are allowed to have flops all the time, <laughs> and Elaine May was not allowed the same thing, and what's frustrating to me about so, somebody like Martin Scorsese, surely he has the power to help yeah. her career. Like, surely he could yeah. get if she wanted it. Someone like him, like, I wish they would use their power to try to correct some of these mistakes. And, like, if he loves the movie so much, it'd be nice if he could produce a movie she wanted to make or something. Like, that's... These these men who have all this power, like, they need to use it for good, like Warren Beatty did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even, I mean, even Tarantino could do that. Yeah. It just seems weird to me that all these famous people are endorsing this movie and some people are calling it like a lost masterpiece and stuff like that. I'll say this. In comparison to the reputation it has, it's a masterpiece. Right. Well, The reputation yeah. it has is completely undeserved. Um, and I'm sure you've heard this story before, but the um, Gary Larson, who did The Far Side, he had a comic um, caption Hell's Video Store and the entire store is just stocked with Ishtar. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the only movie in the store. And he later apologized, saying that when he drew the cartoon, he had not actually seen Ishtar. And he said, years later, I saw it on an airplane. It was stunned at what was happening to me. I was actually being entertained. Sure, maybe it's not the greatest movie ever made, but my cartoon was way off the mark. There's so many cartoons for which I should probably write an apology, but this is the only one which compels me to do so. Like, the, <laughs> the, he, I mean, even he admits, like, it's not the greatest movie, but, like, it's much more entertaining than what he gave it credit for. It's one of those that has, yeah, it has this reputation I think is undeserved. And it's, um, and it's, it's frustrating that behind the scenes stuff can affect how movies do so much because, mm-hmm. um, that was a big thing that people thought attributed it to it doing so badly. And it's the same thing with, like, I was looking forward to seeing Don't Worry Darling. And I like to think I don't get affected by behind the scenes stuff. But I did. I got so sick of stories about, like, Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles and <laughs> all that shit with the movie that I ended up not seeing it in the theater because by the time it came out, I was just, all I could think about was the drama behind the scenes. Yeah. And I had no interest in the movie anymore. The movie was, and even when I did watch the movie, I just kept thinking about the drama while I was watching it. And I'm guessing, I guess that's what happened with Ishtar, or partially what happened anyway. Yeah. It was number one the week it came out, though. People did go to see it at the time, so. Can I read you my two favorite things from IMDb Trivia? Mm-hmm. Okay, I see why this is there, but it's just so random. Um, one piece of trivia is, a group of vultures is called a committee. Yeah. That's just, that's just a little fun fact for you. Like, it technically isn't anything about the movie. No. 
And that's why it was notable to me. Um, although it's still better than a lot of the trivia I saw there. Yeah. And then, you know how at the bottom of IMDb trivia, it'll have a warning spoilers thing, and then the trivia are usually, like, things about the ending of the movie, and that's why there's a spoiler warning. <laughs> so this one had one spoiler warning piece of trivia, and the trivia was trailer narrated by Hal Douglas. How does that need a spoiler warning? Wow! That... That's honestly. I don't know why I went all Christopher Walken there, but wow. <laughs> That's one of the weirdest pieces of trivia I've ever seen on there. The fact that it has the spoiler warning. That's <laughs> like, I didn't even watch the trailer. It has nothing to do with my movie watching experience here. Yeah, it doesn't need to get spoiled. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a normal piece of trivia. Yeah, yeah, it's a fine piece of trivia. It's just with the spoiler warning. How's that a spoiler? Yeah. yeah. Very weird. Some people just abuse their IMDb privileges, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I like to hope that people who do things like that do it on purpose for my amusement. Yeah. Um, and that they don't actually think that there's a good reason for that. <laughs> do you have notes? I do. I was just going to say, guess who has notes? But you already guessed. <laughs> right, so my first note is when we're seeing like um, all the people uh, at the beginning and they're singing their songs uh, before... Before Leo and Chuck are up, mm-hmm. nothing that nothing that Leo and Chuck uh, wrote is as good as "You took my love and my money, you took my love and my spleen." <laughs> That's top notch <laughs> lyric writing right there. That's pretty good. There's a lot of good like we sort of character moments. It's like at the beginning where they're talking to the the agent guy for the first time, mm-hmm. and they're wearing bandanas. And Dustin Hoffman, uh, Chuck, puts his hair down. He moves like a bit of hair and his fringe down. Mm. And Lyle copies him. He, he sees Chuck doing it, so he does it. And I just thought that was kind of... <laughs> at first I thought maybe, because I didn't really know who his character was, because I hadn't really hadn't watched the movie yet, because mm. it was just at the beginning of the movie. Um, I just thought that was just like a Warren Beatty thing. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, well, if he's doing it, I'm doing it. But it's actually a character beat, and it's quite sweet. Uh, I like I like that they actually filmed this in New York in actual snow at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That was good, um, and also that that's like juxtapose, juxtaposed. I can't say that word. Juxtaposed. Thank you. You know, I don't think I've ever said that word before in my life. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. For, I appreciate that. That was the first time that you said that word is to correct me. Um, so the <laughs> uh, the desert. It, and the the movie mm. and then you, at the beginning you've got this the snow and all that and I like that when Chuck is talking to the woman in the bar he tells her that she is so fucking beautiful but the swear word is obscured by amplified sound of the crowd and stuff mm. so you don't actually hear the fucking because I imagine since it's PG thirteen they're only allowed and in, in nineteen eighty seven they're only allowed two at that time and they have two later on mm. so that one was dubbed. Whereas in the UK, when this movie was released, it was released as a, a PG, and they cut all the swearing out. Okay. Because later on, Chuck says "fuck you" and Lyle says "fuck you" twice to the the CIA guys, mm-hmm. and that's not in the PG version, obviously. Uh, the people playing Chuck's parents are around the exact same age as Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> I looked up the woman, and she's only like five years older than him or something, hmm. if that. You know, I did my usual thing of looking at people's ages when they made the movie, and I didn't realize that both Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty were born the same year as my dad. <laughs> 
then I, then I'm just thinking about the fact that my dad would have been obviously their age in the movie when they made this. They, I mean, they made it in '85. Yeah. Um. So they were 48, and they seem so much older to me. And then I think about the fact that my dad was I was three. My dad was dealing with a three year old at that age. Blows my mind. It blows my mind that I have a ten year old and I'm younger than my dad was when he had me. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, now I'll always remember their ages, because they were born in 37. Yeah, and, and you're our only child as well, aren't you? Yeah. Well, your parents started a bit late, though. <laughs> yeah, well, and my dad's uh, 10 years older than my mom. Fair enough. So she wasn't she wasn't as old, but... um. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize... Like, no wonder The Graduate is one of his favorite movies. Or actually, last time I checked, The Graduate was his favorite movie, because, like, mm. he would have been the exact same age as Dustin Hoffman at that time. Yeah. Lyle says to Chuck, it takes a lot of nerve to have nothing at your age. <laughs> and that is now my, my life philosophy. That's exactly how, that's my my mantra now. Dave Grusin composed the score to this. Uh, and he also did the music to the Goonies. Mm-hmm. And I could actually hear some of the music from the Goonies in this. Um, because there was a, a bit where we were first introduced to the map and all that. The mm-hmm. music playing with that when they were getting attacked and the map was... Uh, they were trying to escape with the map. There was music in that, and I was like, "That sounds like the music from Goonies." Mm-hmm. And I looked it up, and it was the same composer. Yeah, I, I wrote another PG thirteen movie directed by a woman in the eighties with a boob flash. Mm-hmm. I wrote that, and I also wrote, "Hey, ladies, if you want to get out of predicaments with idiot men, just flash your boobs or kiss them." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's convenient that these women never wear bras. Yeah, exactly. Jack Weston, who plays their agent, uh, we've seen him before on the podcast because he was the bad guy in Short Circuit too. Okay. Um, when the camel crashes into things behind Dustin Hoffman um, and he freaks out, I believe that's a genuine reaction because mm-hmm. um, he doesn't know that that was happening. But then he just keeps acting. He just keeps going. That's a professional actor right there. That's always impressive to me. I am, um, you know, do you, are you familiar with the reels on Facebook? Yeah. Okay, so it's basically their version of TikTok or whatever. Mm-hmm. Somehow the algorithm, whenever I'm just like scrolling through Facebook, you know, there'll be a little section that shows you like five or six reels. And most of my reels have ended up being friends. Like even before Matthew Perry mm-hmm. died, like if, if I saw a friend's clip there, I would just watch it because I enjoy friends. And um, it's gotten even worse since worse since Matthew Perry died because now I really do watch all of them. But every once in a while, there'll be one where it's like, look at where this person messed up. And I'm seeing a lot of clips of them messing up and continuing going. And like, <laughs> I'd never noticed before. And it's so impressive to me when actors do that, especially if it's, if something funny has happened yeah, or something that, something that like surprises them that like they continue with the scene. And cause I don't think I can handle that. I don't think I could handle like something weird or funny or ridiculous happening continuing. I would be like, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. So that I, I, I would say quit, they quit, stop, cut. cut That's the word cut. I'm looking for. <laughs> I would say that one. I, I probably would have said the other two as well. Cause I probably would have been so, this is my last note. Uh, Chuck and Lyle misgender the camel at one point. <laughs> um, because they called the camel he the entire time, but she in just one exchange. And that's the first scene. They say she. All right. But then the rest of the time, everybody says he. It's really weird <laughs> that I noticed that. But <laughs> uh, so, yeah, 
There we go. We watched Ishtar for the very first time, Jen. Go us. <laughs> so, uh, just a little bit of sort of housekeeping. I was wanting to do this up front, but I forgot that the YouTube channel for this podcast, Shift the Bench Podcasts, I'm no longer going to be posting a video up on there for the podcast. Uh, and but the, the, the channel is still going to have all the playlists for the trailers and all the mm. behind the scenes stuff and all that that I put up there. Um, we are going back to fortnightly releases because life is just getting <laughs> life is just getting in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so in December we will have two episodes. Uh, that will be two Christmas episodes, and in January we'll have maybe I'll pick one, or we might have a wheel. Um, I might be better picking one because it'll be your birthday pick at mm. the end of January. So we'll do that, and then in March though we have three Fridays in March, so we can do a a wheel, and then we can do two a uh, pick each. So that's good because it's five Fridays. I think that's everything I was going to say about the podcast. Yeah. So that's all we have time for. Go to the website, shiftybench.co.uk. Contact, contact at shiftybench.co.uk is the email address. Oh, no. What are we doing next week, Jen? <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week we're doing uh, Home for the Holidays because in America it's Thanksgiving where we celebrate the colonizers. And Home yeah. for the Holidays is a Thanksgiving movie. And I've never seen it. I haven't seen it since I was a teenager. Um, so that's Home for the Holidays next week, but then after... That it's fortnightly. Um, so yeah, where can people follow you online, Jen? Once again, I'm still on Twitter at Pilot Inspectors. I eventually will move somewhere else, but I'm probably not anytime soon. Yeah, you should though, because I I need I need an extra follower <laughs> on one of those other ones. I just need a follower. I've got I've got a couple, but uh, I don't really bother with them anyway. I post a couple of things and threads, but that's about it. Thank you all for listening and we'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.